Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Uh, take your hand out if you have it. Uh, we're going. We're continuing this morning, as you know, in our series. I've entitled the message "Things to Come," and uh, this series, I'll just remind you again, is uh, was the result of a survey that Jonathan, as intern, took of you, and he uh, tabulated the results of uh, things from the scriptures that uh, you wanted to hear a message on, and we put them in a descending order working our way to that theme or topic that uh, was most desirous of the congregation. And today we come to number four, counting down from seven. And uh, this is uh, entitled, Things to Come. There are, and I I make no apology, uh, the title I borrowed right from uh, J. Dwight Pentecost's book on Things to Come. This is probably the most exhaustive uh, text on uh, this whole issue. Uh, this is uh, produced by Zondervan, and uh, you're welcome. And uh, if you want to have a compilation of the theologies and things in a, in a very nearly exhaustive sense in your library, I would recommend this. You can get this on Amazon.com. You can get it used, and it's uh, very, very inexpensive. I've, I've sort of worn mine a little bit. You can see that. that, that we don't have a dog, so he wasn't chewing on it, but it's been, been worn that way. But I, I commend that to you. Another book is a, is a professor at Grace Seminary who was former president. It's called The End Times. Uh, this, uh, this is produced by Moody Press. And this is a very good book. He's a tremendous outliner, and uh, you may enjoy that as well. The End Times by Herman Hoyt. Now, I could, I could give you 50 books, and some of you are still looking at the wall and the ceiling and all that. You ought, you ought, to, you ought to write it down and, you know, pull back and spend a few dollars and put that in your library. I'm not giving you 50 titles, so uh, um, stay with me here, okay? And, and some of you write those down, and all of you buy it. Or maybe we'll buy a case of them and then just get them cheap and pass them out uh, that way so you get good books. Listen. You know the expression? You're going to be the same person you are today except for two things. The books you read and the friends you make. It's the grace of God. The book, the book of books, of course, is the Scripture, and then the books that explain that, right? We're not talking about reading nonsense. There's a lot of nonsense out there. And that's, some of it's all right to read in your leisure, but uh, good books, Good books. And the people. Iron sharpens iron. It uh, develops us and, 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 and helps us along. We need each other. The Marlboro man is out, you know, riding independent into the sunset. That's crazy. That never happened. We need each other. Most of us don't go into a cave by ourselves and contemplate our navel and come out godly. We don't. It's usually downward, if you think about it. Now, that was extra. I didn't plan on saying that, but... Uh, it's great to have Pastor Jesse with us today. I didn't recognize you, Jesse. You're on, not on, uh, you're on vacation for a week. Great. It's great to have you here. Down from the coal region. That's where the real Pennsylvanians live. All right. Well, uh, things to come. Uh, it was, you know, I should say just one other thing by testimonial. It was, uh, it was my study of uh, last things in the, in the teaching of the Word of God on future events when I was a uh, senior in high school, that really drew me to the Lord and to His wonderful Word. i got to tell you, it did. At that time, the late great planet Earth came out. How many of you have heard of that? Hale Lindsay's book on the late... It was his, it was his master's uh, thesis made readable. But it was uh, having an eye on what the Scriptures say on future events. In the study of that, my own life as a, a senior in high school, that really drew me in an, in an early way to, uh, to be a divinity student and then go to seminary later. And uh, I'm so grateful for that, so thankful for that. 
God has given us that. You know, God, uh, look at this, one of, the, one of the wonderful and amazing things about the Lord our God is that he tells us the future. Now, Jeannie Dixon did that, remember back in those days? I mean, some of that was like nutty, nutty. I mean, you get one in a thousand. I mean, like you can throw, you know, uh, snake eyes. Uh, occasionally, you keep throwing them, right? And sooner or later, she got, them, she got something right. Anybody can do that if you're even a good guesser. God's uh, batting average, some of you are baseball fans, he bats 1,000%. Yeah, in fact, that was a test of a prophet. If he claims to speak for me, and it doesn't come about exactly as he said, you take him out and kill him. Because you know, it didn't come from me. That was the test of an Old Testament prophet. I mean, God bats a thousand percent. And the second test was that it has to agree with everything he had already given. God tells the future. He does. God knows all things. God never said, I didn't know that. You may study your math exam. I look at, I'm, I'm studying on my own calculus now. I look at it, a lot of times I say, I didn't know that. The derivative, what in the world is that? And then to see it and, and all that kind of thing, I just feel like I got to get this down before heaven, you know? All right? But I say a lot of times, I don't know that. How does that work? Motion and speed and time and being able to calculate that on a graph. I'm going to get it one of these days. I'm working on it. But God never said, I didn't know. Did you know? I didn't know. He never said that. He knows all things. Why? Because he's ordained all things. He's really that great. Sometimes you'll hear in a gospel track, God votes yes, Satan votes no, you cast the deciding vote. That's, that's heretical. Throw that thing out. It puts God and Satan as if they're on you know, a tug of war, like they're equal. Listen, Satan is a cosmic pimple compared to the greatness and the glory of God. He's a creature. He got blow like that. He's gone forever. Now, he's more powerful than you and me. He's a fallen angel. He's Lucifer for a time, defeated at the cross. One day we'll be finally and forever gone. We can't wait for that. But God is great. He alone is great, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the future is certain. It's certain. It's absolutely certain. Nothing is left to chance. God tells us in the Bible about certain events that will take place. The whole study in, in divinity, in theological studies, is called eschatology. Eschatos is simply the Greek word for last. Eschatos. You came in eschatos, in that rate. You came in last. Oh, thanks. Eschatos is the study of last things, or things to come. And uh, it has really come into full bloom in the last hundred years in trying to understand, comparing Scripture with Scripture and, and what does God say about uh, the future events and what about His redeemed people Israel? How does the church fit into that? And are, are, Is there one faith from beginning to end? Is there one program? And, and, and so on. And, and so uh, that's really come into clarity as we quickly move to the final hour, if you will. Well, it includes the prophetic statements given by God, and God gives them to us that we might have an inkling uh, as to what He's doing so that we would be encouraged. You think about the prophecies uh, unfolding, and prophecy simply means to foretell, but part of that foretelling that the men spoke on behalf of God, a part of that was predictive in nature. And you think of some of the prophecies of the, the announcement of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing, the incredible detail. I've listed on your sheet just a few chapters of the Old Testament that indicate, and you should know these. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we're told that the, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. The virgin, uh, that, that is Mary. And Isaiah wrote that 700 years before uh, Mary gave birth. Matthew, when you read in the New Testament, citing that passage, it goes back, and you remember what Isaiah says, and he uses Parthenon. It's the exact word in the Greek for virgin. It was miraculous. Superhuman, for sure, but God did that. And then in, in Isaiah in chapter 9, it uses the word, and we sing this again at Christmas, and behold, uh, a, 
a, uh, a son is given, uh, a child is born, and a son is given. I always hear Handel's Great Messiah, chorus is singing at that point. And there, what is this? A child is born, a son is given. Well, that uh, describes, as again, Matthew tells, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You move to 53 of Isaiah, and we've looked at that before, the, the great suffering of the Lord Jesus at the cross. It predicts hundreds and hundreds of years right to the detail Everything involved are, are things related to the, to the arrest and to the uh, suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, even to the dividing of his garments. You look at the predictiveness uh, of God in his writing through the, through the prophets, and you, you just have to be utterly amazed at that, right in detail. You see, there's no other Messiah there's no one else. There's no one else that even could be born accordingly. There's only one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you move to Micah 5 2, behold, this minor prophet, minor only because his writing is shorter, tells us in Bethlehem, Ephrata, uh, that the, the Lord would be born. It's no wonder then when you come into Matthew, we discover that a census is going to be taken and God moves uh, the whole Roman world at that point. Why? To cause Mary and Joseph, who were betrothed and engaged, to make their way down to Bethlehem to be registered. Why? Because they were both of the house and the lineage of David. Well, if you don't know 2 Samuel 7.14 and David's covenant, you'll miss that completely. That Jesus would be born of the lineage of David and would sit upon his throne forever. And therefore, Bethlehem being the city of David, God orchestrates all of it. The closer you look, the more amazed you will be. It's like looking at God's creation. The closer you look at the human body, the more amazed you will be. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. The systems of our body, the way God designed it, and the way they work, even in a fallen world where, where sin and death uh, occur. It's phenomenal, the systems of the body. And as I get older and I visit all these doctoral doctors uh, who are specialists, they're all my friends now, gastroenterologists, you know, and then I go over to the sleep center, and then they check me out at the cardiologist, and, and uh, on and on it goes. I'll save you and spare you. David doesn't like that when I go down that street. So, <laughs> but it's funny. You know, it's, we're not even in Florida, but we're filling up our appointment book with visits. Right, Faith? Amen? Oh, not you. It's me. So that's right. The old guy's falling apart. But the closer you look at the body, the more amazing it is. You have fingerprints. Nobody else has them. The retina of your eye identifies uh, your character. Only you. Only God can make snowflakes. Everyone is different. That's amazing. Your fingerprints are your own. Even with twins, they're different. Is that amazing or what? Your DNA. It's marvelous. The closer you look at what God has done in creation, the more amazed you will be. And the outer space is so enormous you can't even see the end. It just staggers the mind. And I said it a thousand times, as right well it should. And it makes this theological statement. God says, I am great and you are not, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are. When you look at God's word, it's the same way. And all the prophetic utterances of his first coming fulfilled right in detail. Psalm 22, this, it's the psalm of the cross, and it's amazing how it talks about they will part my garments even, and they will pierce him. Amazing. Well, each one of these was literally fulfilled by the Lord. Well, from our point forward, God has told us of certain events yet to come. And the only book they ever gave, and it's not the Quran, it's the Word of God, it's the Scriptures, and these two are as certain as uh, what he gave uh, pertaining to the coming of his son at Bethlehem. And I would submit to you, they're probably not far off. I think we're in the, the last days. When you read the last days in the New Testament, it refers from the period of time of Christ after he has gone to heaven and, until he comes for the church, until the final days 
That whole, that whole age is known as the last days. And we're in the last, my perspective is, the last of the last time. Maybe the clock is right at 11, maybe it's 59 or 11.55, ready to move towards uh, that 12 o'clock hour in which Christ will come for his own. That's my sense on it. It is. Well, why is that? These future events seem so close when we talk about them. I submit to you, it's like watching a theater stage being set with all the props and everything ready for the final, the final uh, events, as we'll talk about them uh, the play. It's all set. It's all ready. All we need is uh, the curtain open, and, 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 that's, uh, and that's why I say that. Well, four coming events. You asked for a timeline. At least that's the way Jonathan indicated from your survey. He wanted a timeline from now and the life of a believer forward according to the Scripture. And so we'll, we'll indicate just four coming events on that timeline that will unfold God's plan of, of our redemption. For these events will complete everything that God ever told us about the future. Now come back next week because number three in our series, we're going to spend the whole message on heaven. Have you ever heard a message on heaven? Maybe at a funeral, at time from time. But we're going to, we're going to unfold what the Scriptures say about, about heaven, and I think you'll be amazed by that. Well, the first event uh, that uh, on this timeline as we move forward is we as Christians are waiting for the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, uh, gives us some wonderful verses on this. And let's uh, note, Jay has uh, put a lot of these verses so we can move with haste over them on the uh, overhead here. Well, look at this. Brothers, Paul writes, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall, have fallen asleep, that is, Christians who have died, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left to the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive in our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words. And aren't they comforting? And let's look at one other. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, talks about the timing or the haste of this. Look at, look at this. Is it 51, Jay, or is it 15? Should we look it up in the text? Look at, look at 51. 1 Corinthians 51. Did we get it? Oh, you're fast. All right, here it is. Jay's got it right. Listen, uh, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That's death for a Christian. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the, dead will so- uh, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. We shall all be changed. Not all will sleep, but we shall all be changed. They always laugh that that should be the placard in the nursery, right? They won't all sleep. They should all be changed. Amen. Well, in a holy, far better meaning than that, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians that uh, there's going to come a time in which... uh, Not all Christians will die, but there will be a generation that will be translated. That's actually the word. Rapture is the common word that we hear of. Uh, Rapture actually comes from the Vulgate, the rapio or 
the snatching away is what it means. And uh, the church will be taken together. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be gathered up. And there will be a great family reunion. You know, of course, that uh, Zabolski's had one this summer. And what a great time that was. We're going to try and do that next summer. That was so great. Fifteen years we hadn't been together. I'm telling you there's going to be a far greater family reunion in the air when we shall meet our loved ones, when we shall meet the Lord. Well, let's see what this, this is talking about. This is, is going to present, some of you will know, the premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture. And, uh, and that's what he, uh, I believe the Scriptures unfold. A, the church is described as a mystery by Paul in, this, in that this age of ours was not foretold by the Old Testament prophets. You can read the prophets, read the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, and there's no prediction ever made about this age as the church age, the called out age. There is none. And Paul explains why this Jew of Jews in Ephesians chapter 3, he tells us in verses 4 through 5 that it's a mystery. And a mystery, biblically speaking, is not like, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes, what a mystery that was, you know, this kind of thing. Some of you like those, and they're fun reading and to watch maybe on the cinema. But uh, a mystery, biblically, is something that was previously hidden, concealed, but now has been revealed. And that's what the church is. And that's why we don't read of it in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Some of you may have an old Schofield Bible, one of the original uh, Schofield with the notes in it. And, and incorrectly, uh, there through the Psalms would note Israel, and in the notes they put was the church in the wilderness. Now they changed that with the new Schofield because that, that confuses the whole issue of the church. What are we talking about? Well, look. Look at one. The church is made up today of both Jews and Gentile. You remember that from Acts 15. Uh, uh, how, uh, how, are, how is that to be? Are the Gentiles, the non-Jews, supposed to be Jewish? And they dealt with that. Pastor James at the first uh, church meeting and uh, came out. And, and, and so we, uh, we realize that there's no difference between the two during this period of time. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. The middle wall of petition, Paul says in Ephesians, has been broken down. It's this mysterious time known as the church. And number two, the church began in Acts chapter 2, ten days after the Lord ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. I've stood there and and, and, and looked up into heaven as well and looked down upon the city of Jerusalem right across the ravine. And uh, the Lord ascended and he said, Stay, don't go anywhere. And, and it was ten days later that the Holy Spirit was given. You remember that? In the upper room, day of Pentecost, and the church began on that day. I will build my church, Jesus said. There's unity, but there's disunity with the redeemed of, of yesteryear. It's all because of the cross, forward and backward, but God in his, in his wisdom has a different programs. As you read the word, Adam before he fell, uh, they call it the age of innocence, right? Then after he fell, he uh, needed the shedding of blood to cover him. And, and then you have the period of the patriarchs before Moses gave uh, the Ten Commandments. And, and then you have the law, the nation of Israel with the Ten Commandments. And, and then the Lord comes and offers himself. And I see in Matthew 13 the rejection of the Messiah. They, they said that he, he uh, does these wonderful things through the power of Satan, Beelzebub. Remember that. And with that, there was the postponement of the kingdom and, and the unfolding during this time of this mystery called the church. It begins in Acts chapter 2, all based forward and backwards on the cross. Jesus said to Nicodemus, before the cross, you're the teacher of Israel in John 3, and you don't know that a man must be born again. It was always that way. It was the only way that a man or woman, boy or girl, could find entrance into heaven was to be born again. And the Lord says that and teaches us 
of the universality of that prior to the beginning of the church even. And so that's important to know. First, number three, the church age will continue uh, in our day until the body of Christ is complete. The preaching of the gospel will go throughout the whole world. And boy, haven't we lived to see that in our day with mass media and print and missionary endeavors and television program and satellite. and uh, It's just incredible. I've been in faraway places. I've been in, I've been in the jungles of Brazil and seen TVs and huts that you wouldn't want to park your car in, and yet people live in there, and yet you see the antennas going up. And the broadcasting of the gospel is going around the world, and we live in that day. It's amazing to me. And, uh, and it's just a, a matter of the last one to be saved under this program of the church age, and the church is out of here. Look at B. Paul tells us that the Lord's return could occur at any moment. Any moment. Uh, this is the doctrine, the teaching of, called the imminent, I-M-M, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In other words, from the day of Pentecost, there was not one other thing that needed to be fulfilled until the coming of Christ. It was imminent. Hold to the pre-tribulation, I do, hold to the pre-tribulational rapture, uh, snatching away the translation of the church, the bride of Christ, at any moment. Look at the support for this. Number one, Paul tells us, and he jumps down and he includes himself with his readers there in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. Paul says, we, as he included, who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord. You see, his expectation because the Lord's return was at any moment, that the Lord would come even during the time of the Apostle Paul's life. Now, that didn't happen, but he lived with that, that expectation. It was a day, and you call this, of course, the blessed hope, the, the, the truth that maybe today, when you wake up in the morning, you, if you love the Lord and know Him, you, you, it shouldn't be far from you as you begin to organize yourself and get going about, Lord, today could be the day. It'll be a day like no other day. Now we say that one day the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. And we'll say, that's a day like no other day. Greatest team of the 90s. Got there four years in a row, but never got the big medal, did they? Or trophy. Not quite the biggest day. That, that may happen someday. That day is nothing compared to this day that will be like no other day. None. None of you will ever say, mm, yeah, we've had this experience before. Never. And it could be today. Wouldn't that be great? Just out of here, gone, and, uh, I, and, and to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to meet the Lord. How are we going to do it? I'd like to try one of those jet packs and fly around a Bill Stadium. You know, I'd probably crash and burn, but boy, it'd be fun before just to do that. You know, wouldn't that be fun to do something? How many, I don't, no one else ever had that thought? Just me. It'd be fun to, we're going to, we won't even need that. Just go. Well, I'd say, well, how will that happen? I don't know. The Lord went up, and don't you love the candor of, the, of, the, of Acts chapter 1? The guys are like this. I'd be like that too, and that's going to happen to all of us, and God is great, and he can do anything, and he will, and uh, we're going up. Wow, that was Paul's expectation, and the old Puritans used to say the three B's, right? The book, the blood, and the blessed hope, the promise of the return of Christ. Well, this, uh, number two, this meeting is a meeting that will take place in the air. We saw that, First Thessalonians 4, and after this meeting, we'll go to heaven with the Lord. Now, there are, there are some that uh, teach, and the, they love the Lord, and they love the gospel. It's not, it's, again, it's family talk, I really believe. They're not apostates. Sometimes we're crazy in the way we delineate from those that hold a little different view. That They'll say, well, you know, we meet the Lord in the air, and it's like the old weddings. They, we then come down to the earth, and, and all that. There's some of the Greatest writers of the books in my library believe that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think there's a confusion of what God is doing in national, political, spiritual Israel and in this mystery called the church. 
there, on their part, there's a sense of, well, let's blend it all together, and when the Lord comes, He comes. I don't see it that way. I, I see the Scripture defining it a little more carefully than that. And we, after we meet the Lord, we go uh, to, to, uh, to the prepared place. In fact, John 14, verses 1 to 3, remember this, just before the Lord's arrest, He said to the disciples, without Judas there, do not let your hearts be troubled, Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. It's abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And I would take that to understand that the Lord is going to take us the glory after we meet him in the air. And uh, that's, if you know Christ, where you're going to be. Well, uh, having said that, some Christians will go without dying. There will be those who are saved, part of the, the uh, living church on earth when the Lord comes, but because we stand on 20 or 21 centuries of the church, universal, most of those who have believed in Christ have already died and are buried, and their souls have been taken to glory. You know that that's true, right? 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent for the believer now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we are confident, and I say, we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You then... And uh, we'll look at that in a second and what happens after that. But uh, that's it. You're either at home in your body or at the rapture or at death, you are home with the Lord. Home, isn't that a sweet word? Going home. Ever been away a long time? Can't wait to go home. This is not home. We settle in here. We get pretty cozy. We enjoy the goodness of God and and can't imagine not being at home, but this is not home according to the Scriptures. But we'll be home. When a, breather, when a Christian breathes his last instantaneously, there's no gap, there's no soul sleep, you're taken into the very presence of the Lord. What a glorious thing that will be. And at that point, uh, and see, all Christians, and after the rapture, after we go to this prepared place, the place... In the old translation, we sing about mansions. Um, uh, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you've heard about that. They're, all judgments are not the same judgments. And there are those that love the Lord uh, that want to blend it all together. They see one judgment at the end. But uh, the Bible seems to indicate that there is a judgment of which is for all believers uh, of the church, the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, if you know Christ, you will stand there. If you know Christ, it's not to allow you or not to allow you into heaven. The fact that you're there means that you are saved. But God, uh, the Lord himself, will evaluate your life and the service that you have done for Christ with the gifts and the times and the abilities that he has given to you. And his holy justice fire will burn through you and through me. And only that which is done for Christ will last. We sing that, don't we? Uh, the wood, hay, and stubble, 1 Corinthians 3, will be burned out of us. And only that which we do, and we do with the right motive. Do you know that a lot of us can do the Lord's work with, the, with really screwed up motives? You know, we can do it for the flesh. We want to be seen. We want to be, it'll burn right through you. We want to give because, you know, people think, well, Ananias, burn right through you. You might as well not. Yeah, I want to teach. I want to preach. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to help. It'll burn right through. You might as well not do it. You'll lose it all at the judgment. There will be a judgment. And uh, I believe there will be some tears there. I think it will be the last time for Christians to shed tears, realizing, you know, the, he was my Lord, but I really didn't give my all. In fact, I sort of played at it. And don't let that be you. I don't want that to be any of you. We're all going to stand there, 
And uh, I want to I be thrilled at what God says about each one of you as, as, your, as the under-shepherd here. And uh, that's a concern for me. Look, look what he has to say in our text. Uh, in Romans uh, 14, you, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For Paul reminds, for we will, we will all, he's writing to Christians at Rome, stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's what he's referring to. That's different than the great white throne judgment where the lost will stand after their resurrection and all that appear at the latter judgment will be cast in the lake of fire. That's the judgment you don't want to be at. That's the judgment that's based on works. Okay, since uh, you are unsaved and wouldn't receive my Savior and his finished work, you will be judged upon your works and our works will condemn. You don't want to be there for that. Well, that's what he's saying. Well, that's the first event. That's the main event. The snatching away, the rapture of the church. Let's quickly look at the second. Number two, while we are in heaven, the tribulation period of seven years will take place on earth. Now, the best way to study this on your own, Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, unfolds that. And uh, listen, I say in here in part of this, Life can be tough here and now, and we are persecuted at points, and there are tribulations, and God has a way of using all that in our life, but that's not the great hour of tribulation, Revelation 3.10, that's coming upon the whole world. There is coming a time when all hell will break loose, so to speak. Satan knows he's in the very last of his days and will wreak havoc. It will be horrible times. And God's judgment upon this world, death will reign. You've heard of the four horsemen. You'll see those in Revelation chapter 6, death and famine and war. And the, you, you can see that in the horrible time of that. Now, there are some that love the Lord and love His church and stand in His pulpit, and they're godly men and women. They, they, they are that teach His word, that, that believe that the church will go through this time of tribulation. I don't see it that way. I see it as, Dan, as God's dealing with uh, uh, national spiritual Israel. It's the 70th week of Daniel's. That'll mean something to some of you. Well, let's look at what I wrote here in A. Jesus foretold this coming day of great trouble in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. Jay, do we have that? Verses 21. And here, Look what the Lord said just before his death. For there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And if those days had not been cut short, in other words, brought them to an end, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, and those days will certainly be shortened. That's what we're talking about in the Olivet Discourse. He's talking about Israel and God's future dealings with uh, Israel. Today, it's like dry bones. In May of 1948, Israel became a state. They, they, were, they had no homeland for 2,000 years. And, and, and miraculously, it was in God's sweet providence after the horrors of World War II and all that Hitler did with the Jews there in, in Europe, there was a migration, and the Zionist movement in Palestine became established with Ben-Gurion and the establishment of the state of Israel. Never happened before. People never thought it would come about, ever. But uh, I've been there numerous times. There's very little spiritual light. They're dead. They're, the, the bones are there, but there's no life. And God has made a promise to Abraham and then to David, and it's going to culminate in the, in the spiritual gathering of the true seed of Abraham. We're talking genetic Jews. Today, it's, there's no difference. Jews and Gentiles, there's 
the wall is down. But finally, God, who is ever faithful to his word, and I can't spiritualize those covenantal promises to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and say, well, they're sort of spiritually fulfilled in the church. I can't do that. That's a hermeneutical tap dance I can't do. That's a style of interpretation I choke on. I see how the, the, it was fulfilled literally when the Lord came the first time, and it's going to be exactly the same the second time. And so God will deal with the nation Israel as well as pour out his wrath. It's the hour of wrath that's coming upon the whole world. Will be. This is the time of Daniel's 70th week that has never been fulfilled. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9 to remind you. 77s, that's 490 years are decreed for your people. That's the Jews, Daniel's people, the Jews. And your holy city, that's Jerusalem. Jerusalem doesn't mean anything really to the church. You see that? To your city, what? And look at what it's gonna, it ends in, to finish transgression. In other words, to bring about the end of sin. That has not happened. You can't say all this has been fulfilled already. It's not. The end of sin, no to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and, and to anoint the most holy. Never happened. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem, that's uh, March the 14th, 445 B.C., and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, that's Christ, comes. There will be seven sevens. And 62 sevens, that's 69 weeks or 483 years. It will be rebuilt with streets and trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. That refers to the cross. Daniel wrote this in, in what, five, 550 B.C. or so? The people, the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end will come like a flood. War will continue to the end. That sounds like the book of Revelation during the tribulation. And desolations have been decreed. He will confirm, this is referring to the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's seven year period of time. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation, and to the end that his decreed is poured out on him. There's going to be a temple, and, uh, and, and there's a desire now in Israel to establish this temple and uh, for a return of sacrificing, and Antichrist will guarantee peace to the nation of Israel. Isn't it amazing to me that, that not only is Iraq and Afghanistan in the paper and during these passing days while we have our military, they're rightfully so, but Israel is in the focus of the world. Why Israel? Why Jerusalem? This little, little state country that's the size of New Jersey or so because it's the focus of the world. Watch Jerusalem. Keep your eye on it. They, they, they crave for peace. They're building an enormous wall, the PLO, and, and all that go on, uh, goings on over there. It's, uh, it, it's filled with turmoil, and it will continue to be. And they crave for peace. I heard last week or the week before that if Iran keeps uh, developing their nuclear uh, capabilities, they'll give Israeli, uh, Israelis no choice. They're going to take out. And, they're going to take it, and they have to do that. They have to do that. To give a nuclear capability to a maniac uh, over there will, un will destabilize not only the Middle East, but the war, and the, the, the world, uh, and so on. They crave for peace. And Antichrist, when he arises, is going to establish a covenant, a peace agreement, and will guarantee peace to Israel for three and a half years of the seven-year period of time that we've talked about. This period, it will, the first three and a half will be bad, but Israel will be guaranteed peace, and then it will be broken in the last three and a half years is when all hell breaks out on earth. And God will be regathering the uh, Jews from all over the world. 144,000 will go forth as missionaries around the world to proclaim the gospel 
They will weep upon him whom they have pierced. Read Zechariah and his writings on it. It's glorious as the Jews will come to Christ and they will be wonderfully redeemed and, and, and gloriously during this time. The purpose, uh, one of this time, is once again to focus on national Israel and to bring her to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Many Jews will be saved during this time. Read even uh, Romans chapter 11, 9, 10, and 11, but 9 and 11 deal with the, the Jewish national question. What about Israel? Did God's purpose with them fail? No, Paul says there's going to be a regathering of Israel. This is what we're, we're referring to that will take place while if you're in Christ and saved, you'll be in heaven. The marriage uh, with, our, with, our bri- with our bridegroom, the judgment seat of Christ, but on earth... This is what's going to occur uh, during that seven-year period of time. Well, number two, Satan knows his time is short. He empowers one uh, called Antichrist. That's not his name. Say, I read the papers. I never saw someone say, Mr. Antichrist. No, that's his character. What he will do is he will corrupt uh, the Christian faith. He'll probably bridge together with the apostates in a form of religion, but not be true. And uh, he is a a ruler in Europe. We discover that in in Daniel chapter 7. I think we may even have that down. Do we have Daniel 7 as well? Yeah, 724. Uh, Using highly figurative language, we looked at this some time ago, the seven horns, and it's of Europe, this revised Roman Empire is European, The seven horns, Daniel says, are ten kings or leaders who will come from this kingdom, that's Rome. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones, and he will subdue the other three rulers or kings. He will speak against the Most High, that's God, and oppress his saints, try to change the set times and the laws, and the saints will be handed over to him for time, times and a half, that's three and a half years. And Daniel indicates this hundreds of years ahead of time as we look at this phenomenal unfolding of this Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is, is almost like the Lord Jesus is God-man. He's God incarnate. And uh, Satan, the great counterfeiter, is going to try and do something on a different scale, but almost incarnate, so indwell a man... A European ruler, is he German? Is he Italian? Is he, uh, is he from France? We don't, we don't know, but uh, it will be obvious that one will rise up and subdue the others, and he's the one that will establish peace with Israel. I mean, today we have the, when I talk about the stages set, I mean, we've got Israel in the land, though they're unsaved, most of them, You've got the European common market. There it is. Now it's on one currency with the euro. I mean, and it's, it's amazing uh, that we see the Israel is the focus of the world. You've got the southern kingdom. What's that? That's the Arab Confederacy. Can't you see it wrapped around petrodollars and oil, natural gas? It is. The Bible also talks about the armies of the east having a uh, 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 hundred million men they're able to put into a military venue out of the east. Who do you think that is? It's China. They have uh, 1.3 billion people and have boasted, I saw it with the Olympics, of over a hundred million people. They could feel like, oh, like, this is unbelievable. I was breaking into a sweat. So, all they have to do is march across the Euphrates, as the Bible says. I mean, oil is going to be the magnets. Can you see it? You don't have to be even a rocket scientist to see this. The reason we're over there is to stabilize Iraq, keep the oil flowing from the Persian Gulf. I mean, do you see why I'm saying it's got to be 11:55? Maybe it's 11. Maybe he's saying, "Hey, it's about today, later." You won't get to see the Bills play. It's happening. That's all right. After the rapture, they're going to play a lot better anyway. You know. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and this this incarnation of this uh, of this ruler called Antichrist, well, he will wreak havoc. 
You can study that particular Revelation 13. That's where that number 666. What would you ever do if you got a license plate from Pennsylvania that had 666 on it? <laughs> Put in for another one, right? <laughs> Go to a hotel room in New York City, 666. Call the front desk. <laughs> Please. No, you don't need to do that. But it does. It does. It's the number of man deified. And it's, uh, it's the incarnation of this opposer of God, of Christ, and his, his redeemed ones. Well, see, life might be hard now, but if you're saved, give thanks to God that you'll not have a part in this horrible time of human misery and judgment. I really mean that. I know there are godly men and women that uh, say, well, wait, we're going to go through this. I think they're going to be greatly surprised when we meet in the air. I can't wait to see John Calvin. <laughs> He's so good on so many things, I won't even bring it up to him. <laughs> and some others. Well, the third event, we've got to move along, that we discover here in this timeline unfolding God's plan of our program of our redemption is that Jesus will return to earth, and we with him at the end of the seven-year period of time. In Revelation 19, verse 11, fine. you should know that. You should definitely know. If someone says, is the Lord Jesus coming back to actually plant his feet on planet Earth? Yes. Do you know where that's found? You should know that. It's Revelation 19, verse 11 and following. I think we have it right up here. Thank you, Jay. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. That's the Lord Jesus. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. It's very figurative here. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses. That's, that's, incidentally, that's you and that's me. We follow the Lord back to planet Earth. He's dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation. Again, it's figurative. It just shows the power of his word. He speaks the word, and it goes forth with the power of, of military might to accomplish his judgment. And he will rule them with an iron scepter, and he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's why we sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic this morning, because it reminds us of just that. Well, this is when Jesus will plant his feet on planet Earth. Uh, this, uh, Jesus will vanquish all of his enemies, include Satan, who's thrown into the bottomless pit, Antichrist, wicked men and women. B, it's at this time that Jesus sets up his thousand-year reign. And we will assist him in the rain. This is the culmination of, of which the creation, which has been set on tilt, Romans chapter 8, due to the, to the curse, the thorn and the thistles. you have any thistles in your lawn? Man, you get them out and they just keep growing up. Those, and you grab them by your hand, you wish you didn't. Sometimes I do that and that always jabs me in the finger. They'll be gone and the curse and death and all of that will be reversed in a great degree during this time of a thousand years. And I look at Revelation 20, uh, four times the word a thousand appears. Do we have that, Jay, or no? Can we get it? Some say, well, isn't it, why do we need to do that? Why isn't it just the creation of the new heavens and the new earth? And some teach that. But uh, the Bible teaches of this glorious future day of the earth in which our Lord will rule and reign from David's throne. And the curse will be in a large way reversed. I say that because of uh, it's like uh, John bends over backwards in his revelation in chapter 20 and writing a thousand years. He says it four times. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that is the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. There's the first thousand. And he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, 
he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. And they had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life. These are saints that died. They were saved during that terrible tribulation time who died. And they reigned with Christ a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. You see, John, it's like he bends over backwards uh, to, uh, to say it's a thousand years. Did you hear me? Thousand years. Thousand years. I just can't spiritualize that and say that uh, the church is the kingdom now, and so it doesn't really mean that, and, and, and so on and so forth. So I just struggle with it. If you hold to an amillennial position, you know, I don't agree with you, but you're probably still saved. But uh, it's, it's premillennial. It's a thousand years. It's the golden age. It's Eden revisited. And I can't wait to see it. There is the four-square city, we'll talk more about next week, that hovers down the prepared place, and you and I will live there in our great condos. They are. We began in a garden, we end in the city, according to the Scriptures. Well, this is the future, number one, time on earth when the curse is seemingly reversed. We don't have time to read that, but read Isaiah 65. There, Isaiah wrote 700 years ahead of time. Where, where a lion and a lamb shall be together, and a child shall lead them. He's referring about this, this golden era of time on earth that will happen after the tribulation as we move into the millennial kingdom of our Lord. I'm reminded that only the saved, number two, of all ages will enter into the kingdom. Only the saved will begin at this point. There will be those with glorified bodies, Strangely enough, there will be those who live through the tribulation that were saved, that, as I understand it, still do not have glorified bodies, but will live to be very, very old and have children. Uh, if, if they were to die at 100, 100, the text says in Isaiah, they'll die like children. You see, many, many effects of the curse are reversed, and they'll live to be of great age alongside of those who have glorified bodies until the end of the millennium. Well, at the end, and see, at the end, uh, uh, Satan is released from this bottomless pit. In Revelation 20, verses uh, 7 to 10, there's a final rebellion that uh, happens among a few of the children that are born, to those who entered into the millennium with natural bodies unglorified, and Satan is finally squashed. And he is thrown into the lake of fire with his angels for whom the fires of hell were prepared for from the beginning of time. Indeed, the great white throne judgment then takes place. That's the judgment you do not want to be a part of. For all humanity that have never been regenerate will be raised at the, at the resurrection of the dead. Daniel talks about it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, here in, in, in Revelation chapter uh, 20, uh, verse 15. Let's just read that. Do we have 12, 20, verse 15? This is a very somber verse referring to the final Resurrection. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that's the saved of all ages, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. And that's the ending. That's, that's the hell we normally think of when hell is thrown into the lake of fire. Well, the last event, verse uh, number four of these coming events unfolding this timeline is that God creates the new heavens and the new earth. And they're the last two verses, uh, last, two ver last two chapters of our Bible. And we're going to look at these uh, more in detail next week as we talk about heaven. This is the place we often think of when we think of heaven. It'll be more wonderful than you could ever imagine. Think of your wildest, most wonderful vacation, right? 
down on the beach, right? Having all the great food you want to eat, carefree, everyone there that you want there, that's nothing compared to the glory of the eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth, the glory of God and all that we shall enjoy if you're in Christ. For we shall ever, forever, and ever be with the Lord. God has told us so. And uh, if he didn't tell us, we wouldn't know. But he gave it to us so that we might know these things. And it might be the blessed hope that comforts us when we're sick, when we're near death, when we bury our loved ones, that there is something far beyond the present here and now. And note what is missing from the old. Aren't you glad for this? No more weeping. I don't want to get too much into it from next week's message, but no more tears. Wow. You have to change the tear ducts there. You know, women have more tear ducts than men. Sometimes the ladies say, how come you never cry? Men, you don't have as many tear ducts. Just say anatomically. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Jim's right there. Yeah. Imagine we were both bawling away. Nothing would be done, right? We're glad for our wives. They keep us sensitive. Sometimes I look at Faith and she's crying, and I'm looking at myself wondering what's wrong with me. But I kinda, I've learned to tune into that. You know, that helps, right, guys? But if we were both a, ball of tear, a bowl of tears, uh, you know, what good would we be, right? So she needs me, I need her, in a lot more ways than that. i got news for you. No more tears, no more sickness, no more docs. How about that, Todd? No, no more. I don't know if we're going to have 2020. You're going to be able to, I don't know, that'd be great. No more hospitals. How about that? No more health insurance. That's the great solution, incidentally, to the health insurance problem. Of, I've not heard that suggested yet. <laughs> Even so, let's all pray. The Lord, and that'll, that'll, no more funeral homes. No more obituaries in the paper. Wow, won't that be great? Man, I still can't get over the obituary. Sometimes someone's like really old, and they put a picture in, and they're like 28. I still can't figure that one out. I just, uh, their friends look at it, they scan the paper, they can't see very well anyway, and they, they just go right over it. They, I don't know that guy. You know? <laughs> no more obituaries, no more funerals. Amen. I'm ready. Are you? Amen. I can't wait. Lessons for our life, quickly. Number one, the reality is, here it is again, the blessed hope, Jesus could come back even today. Even today. Don't be asleep. Don't be asleep. Don't be like the ten virgins that uh, are sleeping. Be awake. Be alert. Be looking for the Lord. It'll change the way you live. It will. You won't be so tied down to the here and now. Got to make an income. Got to get my 401 funded. Got to do this. Got to. We got a lot of got tos. You notice that? Keep one eye fixed up and one eye here. Don't be totally up there. You'll be no good. You'll be bumping around, falling all over. It'd be like the Thessalonians. They quit their jobs. Well, we hear the Lord's coming back. Quit my job. And would you be in favor of that? Yeah, let's go out on, on ski round top there. We'll wait for you, Lord. Then we're ready. And we have to read second, uh, I have to read second Thessalonians again, get rebuked back, and okay, I'll show up for work. Keep one eye up and one eye down. That the reality is. And if you're here and not saved, and you have people in your family that are. And someday you wake up and you don't find them, they could be gone. That's the truth of it. Dad and mom. How many times have we had that experience where you couldn't find dad and mom? I, I came in the house and I, I called sometimes. Faith, no, one, no answer, no faith. Where are the kids? No one around? And I thought, wait a minute, I'm still here. <laughs> we don't believe in partial rapture. That's another whole... <laughs> Incidentally, that's a, that's a wrong thought that only those that are Christians who are ready go and the rest. That, the Bible never teaches that. Thank the Lord for that. <laughs> We'd be all in a heap of trouble most of the time. But uh, don't be sleeping. Be ready. Today's the day. Look at two. If you're not ready for his return, oh, I urge you. I urge you. Don't let the day pass. Open your heart. And it's not your mom, dad. It's not your grandma. It's not anyone else, not your teacher. It's not what I believe. You must be born again. 
Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I receive you as my, my Lord. Urge, I urge you, whether young or old, doesn't matter if you're 90, the oldest one I ever had, trust Christ, was, was 90 years old. Trust the Lord and be ready. You're not ready. You're not. And you don't want to go through that horrible time. And incidentally, if you are in that time and you reject Christ till, and the Lord comes, just open your Bible and read the all, Matthew 24 and 25 and 2 Thessalonians and turn to Revelation 6 so you know what's happening and hold on for seven years. Don't do that. Save yourself. Four out of five won't make it. And unless those days come to an end, there would be no one else standing. Thank you, Raj. Number three, be encouraged. Be encouraged. God has a plan. This thing is just not spaceship earth. Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Who knows what's going to happen? That's what's in the street. It's not that. It's right on God's timetable, exactly. God's never late. You and I are late. Hold that bus. (laughs) He's never late. Right on time. And so be encouraged by that. I am. I think it's exciting that God lets us live at this point in time to see these things and to be able to think through his word and to look for his coming. Wow. Number four and last, truly for the Christian, here it is, the best, the best, The best is yet to come. Oh, man. Words will escape us. Paul said it. He said, I got a glimpse of heaven, and I'm telling you, it was inexpressible. I couldn't even begin to describe how wonderful it was. The best is yet to come. Amen? 